You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host, Billy Pout, and today we are back with the Premier League roundup, going through all the fixtures that took place over the weekend. We'll also be going through our predictions that we did last episode, so if you haven't already, go over and check this one that one out before going to listen to this one. But getting straight into things, we'll start off with Friday night's game between Leeds and West Ham. I predicted this to be a 1-1 draw, and it looked like I was going to get my first prediction right. But thanks to an 80th minute goal, I was proven wrong. It wasn't long before the first goal was seen in this game though. Only five minutes in, Fabianski brought down Patrick Bamford in the box. I don't think anyone will disagree with this decision as it was an absolute stonewaller. It was Mateus Klick who stepped up for Leeds as he took the penalty against Fabianski. And it was Fabianski who pulled off a great save to keep the tie at 0-0. After a VAR check though, a replay showed that Fabianski was a millimetre off his line, so the penalty had to be taken again. As Klick stepped up for the second time, he was able this time to place it past his Polish teammate to put Leeds ahead. West Ham reacted and levelled the game only 20 minutes later. As David Moy said last week, he's found his new Fellaini and it was that man Suchek who scored from a corner. The height West Ham have from corners in that team with the likes of Suchek, Haller, Ogbonna, etc. is just frightening for any team to come up against. And they've already proven to be very, very dangerous from set pieces this season. Early into the second half, it looked like they'd done it again. Fabian Balbuena's header this time forced Leeds keeper Meslier into pulling off an incredible save to keep the scoreline level. Unlike I expected though, this was a very open game. Both teams looked like they wanted to win and both teams looked like they could have won. Unfortunately for Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds though, it was West Ham who came out on top and yet again it was from a set piece. Aaron Cresswell's fantastic delivery into the box was met by Angelo Ogbonna 
and it was his bullet header that put the Hammers ahead. After they went ahead, West Ham thought they'd made it three, but this time it just came off the post. Rodrigo Moreno had the chance to make it two each from ten yards out, but with only two minutes left, his effort was straight down the throat of Fabianski. 2-1 is how the game ended, and I'm not quite sure how David Moyes is doing this, but West Ham are now in sixth place, and only three points off Southampton in fourth. Saturday saw four games take place, and the first of those was between the two West Midlands sides when Aston Villa travelled to Wolverhampton. If you listened to last episode, I was dreading this. I predicted a 2-0 win to the home side, and as a Villa fan myself, I'm happy that I finally got this one wrong. With Ross Barkley still out for Villa, Dean Smith decided to give academy graduate and local lad Jacob Ramsey his first Premier League start. And if you didn't know that it was his debut, you certainly wouldn't have been able to tell. This game was the Mike Dean show though. 15 minutes into the game, he pulled out his first yellow card when he gave Douglas Louise a booking for a nothing foul. 15 minutes later, and then again, he pulled out the yellow card and booked both Matty Cash and John McGinn within two minutes. Again, neither foul was a bookable offence. And this now means that Cash faces a suspension for Villa's game against Burnley on Thursday. And it also means that McGinn is just one card off for suspension. Yet another card was given before half-time, this time to Adama Traore. Four bookings in the first half alone were given. And I could understand if it was a dirty game with tackles flying in left, right and centre. But it wasn't at all. A further seven cards were given in the second half, two of which were red cards for second yellows. Despite the amount of cards given, Emmy Martinez seems to be the bargain of the summer. He made seven saves and somehow managed to keep Villa in the game. Wolves were pressing and were the team taking all the shots really. But fortunately for Villa, Martinez was able to keep them all out. And in the 93rd minute, after Villa had gone down to 10 men, John McGinn won a penalty. With Ollie Watkins missing the last one, it, he was very eager to redeem himself. But Jack Grealish instead gave the ball to Anwar El Ghazi, a player who has faced a lot of criticism in the past, but no one will be criticising the way he took that penalty. It was 1-0 to Villa with only two minutes of injury time left. And it was in the 95th minute when João Moutinho was shown a second booking for a very little again as Villa managed to hold out for the win. A massive result for Villa and heading into games against Burnley and West Brom, I'd like to think that we could take maximum points from those games too, but we've been very inconsistent so far this season, so we'll just have to wait and see. With Newcastle's limited preparation due to their training ground being closed for the majority of the past two weeks, they welcomed Slavon Bilic's West Bromwich Albion side to St James's Park in the three o'clock kickoff. And only 19 seconds into the game, Newcastle saw themselves go ahead. Joe Linton's passed through the West Brom defence, plated it up perfectly for Almiron, who was able to slot it past Sam Johnston. It looked like it was going to be a long afternoon ahead for the Baggies fans, but slowly but surely they grew into the game and did look the better team in all fairness to them. Newcastle were looking very sloppy when in possession as chances started to open up for West Brom. 
None really clear-cut though until five minutes after half-time when Matt Phillips' left-footed cross was met by Darnell Furlong who arrived late at the back stick and it was his effort that put the teams back on level terms. It wasn't for long though. I do apologise, that was a terrible pun. But in the 70th minute, former West Brom man Dwight Gale came on to give the home side more of an attacking threat and it worked. 12 minutes after coming on, Jacob Murphy's delivery into the box was headed home by Gale and that goal came, and with that goal came my first correct prediction. That win puts Newcastle up to 13th whilst leaving West Brom stuck in 19th on only 6 points. With the highly anticipated Manchester derby up next, it was shaping up to be a very eventful and enjoyable game, but my God was I wrong. This must have been the most boring Manchester derby that has ever taken place. Neither team ever really looked like scoring, and for a game that was so hyped up like any game between these two clubs are, it was such a shame to see the game play out like it did. You may have already heard Roy King talk about it, But in a Manchester derby, the least you expect is for there to be a bit of grit, a bit of fight and a bit of hatred between the two clubs. But it just wasn't the case and it was so obvious to see as well. In a derby game, you don't want to be seeing players from either team hugging and having a laugh and joke with opposition players. If they want to do that, then fine, just do it down the tunnel or in the changing rooms. But hugging and joking with rival players while still on the pitch with cameras at all angles and millions and millions of people watching, for me, I just can't bear it. If that was a Villa players having a joke with Birmingham City players after drawing the derby nil-nil, I would be absolutely fuming. Anyways, with my prediction for this game, I don't think I could have been much further wrong as I went for a 3-1 Man City win. The final game for Saturday, though, was between Chelsea and Everton at Goodison Park. With Chelsea on fine form and Everton not being able to clean sheet to save their lives, I thought this was going to be a very winnable game for Chelsea and I went for a 3-1 win to them. The first goal of the evening came when Jordan Pickford's hoof downfield was controlled by Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was then brought down in the box by Chelsea keeper Edouard Mendy. Nobody will disagree that it was a penalty as he completely clattered into DCL. But it was Gilfie Sigurdsson who stepped up for the Toffees and he didn't let them down. 1-0 was the score after just 22 minutes played. Chelsea had a lot of the ball, 73% possession over the first 45 minutes and were very unfortunate not to have levelled through Rhys James. A Mason Mount corner travelled through everyone and landed to Reese James, whose cracking effort was just slightly tipped away by Pickford, which just seemed to be enough as the ball crashed off the inside of the post and bounced clear. Zuma forced Pickford into making another great save. The ball whipped in from Chilwell was nodded back across goal by Giroud, but Zuma just couldn't do anything with it. The second half was much like the first half. Chelsea held on to the ball for the majority of the half, And as you'd expect from a team holding 72% of the ball, they had the most chances. Mount came close when he tried to dink Pickford whilst off his line and it just went over. And he hit the post again, this time off a free kick, but it just wasn't enough for the Londoners as they just couldn't hit the back of the net in one of those games. 
Lampard will be very disappointed in the way his team failed to get the ball over the line, but massive positives from the way that they played. Everton will be over the moon with this result as it lifts them from lift, as it lifts them to seventh with six wins so far this season, two of which coming against Spurs and Chelsea. So I can imagine the Everton, Evertonians being very pleased with that. Southampton took on a Sheffield United side who are still looking for their first win of the season, sitting last place with only one point prior to this game. Southampton, as expected, were very dominant and looked like the only team that were going to even close to scoring. With Danny Ings back from injury, he had a great chance to put the Saints ahead early on, but his shot was saved by Ramsdale. With only 34 minutes gone though, Southampton finally managed to get one over the line. James Ward-Prowse's free kick was cleared, but only as far as Jan Bednarek, who played it on to Che Adams and two yards out and with only the keeper to beat, he certainly wasn't missing. During the first half, Sheffield United had a total of one shot. The second half though, they doubled that and had two, but was still unable to phase McCarthy in the Southampton goal. Southampton did continue to push and made it two just after the hour mark from a very fortunate deflection off Robinson from a Stuart Armstrong shot. With only eight minutes left, two became three as Nathan Redmond's 1-2 with Romeo put him in a good position for a shot. With a beautiful finish, he put them up 3-0. And 3-0 up with only eight minutes remaining, I was one Southampton goal away from getting my second correct scoreline of the week. But unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. With the Saints playing how they are, it's difficult to see many teams beating them this season. And you've got to say, if they keep this form up, they could definitely be looking at the prospect of European football next season. Sheffield United, though, could be looking at the other end of the spectrum. I think it's fair to say that the Red of Sheffield will be playing in the Championship next season. And I know we're only 12 games in, but unless something drastic happens, I really can't see them getting out of it. Already eight points off Burnley in 17th as well. With the way they're playing, it'll, it'll be a miracle if they can even reach eight points this season. Selhurst Park was where the stage was set for a Crystal Palace side coming off the back of a 5-1 battering of West Brom and a Tottenham side who are unbeaten since the opening day when they lost to Everton. And with Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son in the form of their lives, it shaped up to be a very interesting game to say the least. Before the game, I predicted this one to be a 3-0 Spurs win, but that wasn't to be the case. Early on, it was Spurs who had the better of the chances, Son had a shot from a tight angle which went just over the bar and Ndombele had a great chance about 12 yards out but Vincente Guaita pulled off a magnificent save to keep Spurs out. Not too long after that though, Spurs got their goal to make it 1-0. Harry Kane's long range effort was swivelling and doing all sorts in the air and despite his fantastic save earlier in the game, the ball pretty much went through Guaita's hands. A goal was always coming for Spurs, but Palace will believe that that was a very soft one to give away. Spurs went into the break, leading by one goal. I don't know what was said in either of the team talks, but whatever it was, it completely flipped the game on its head. Palace just looked like a completely different team. The way they went at Tottenham and the way that they attacked, you just knew that a goal was on the cards for them. And finally, after pushing all half, 
in the 81st minute, they finally got their goal. Eberiche Eze's delivery into the box off a free kick was straight into the danger zone. And after bouncing off a few bodies, <laughs> it landed to Jeffrey Schlupp, who was able to place it home. With nine minutes to go before the full-time whistle blew, Spurs completely changed and were back on the front foot. Ben Davies had his cross rebound off the bar and land into the path of the oncoming Serge Aurier, but his effort was met by Harry Kane's head, which nine times out of ten would ripple the back of the net, but Guaita pulled off yet another fantastic save. And in the second of four minutes added on, Eric Dyer had a free kick in a very dangerous area. And this time it really did look like it was destined to go in. But Guaita though had other ideas as he pulled off another outstanding save. 1-1 is how the game ended and what a result that is for Palace. With Spurs dropping points against Palace, Liverpool were poised to take top spot as they travelled to Craven Cottage to take on a Fulham side coming off the back of a 2-0 loss to Manchester City. VAR was at the forefoot of this game when a penalty decision wasn't given against Liverpool 19 minutes into the game when Fabinho brought down Ivan Cavaliero. For me, it was an absolute stonewaller. As Fabinho dives in, he completely takes out Cavaliero's foot and if you actually look at the replay... It is, in fact, Cavaliero's foot that Fabinho takes out that hits the ball away. The decision was made that it wasn't a penalty and was given as a corner, which I com could completely understand had Fabinho actually won the ball, but he didn't. <laughs> anyway, if it wasn't a penalty, then it was a goal kick, but that doesn't matter. It was a penalty and the fact that the VAR official didn't deem it as a penalty for himself is absolutely mind-boggling. Fortunately for Fulham though, it was only six minutes later when they finally got their goal to go 1-0 up. Bobby Reid latched onto a Adamola Luckman ball as his shot fired past Allison. Fulham took an unexpected lead and were very unfortunate not to make it to. Cavaliero's delivery into the box from a corner was met by Adarabayo, but it was saved by Allison and very nearly followed up by Anguisa, but his header from a yard out went somehow went over the bar. Sadio Mane then had an effort go over the bar from a Curtis Jones delivery, but that was Liverpool's only real chance in the first half. The second half, though, was a completely different story. Liverpool had a massive 80% possession in the second 45 and they finally got their goal just before the 80 minute mark. A free kick on the edge of the box was blocked by Abubakar Kamara whose arm was slightly away from his body and so a penalty was given. It's a shame that such minimal handballs are given as penalties these days but going off the laws that we have in place right now it was a penalty. Mo Salah stepped up to take the penalty and of course he scored. It was, however, very close to being saved by Areola in the Fulham goal, but the ball just went under his body and in the goal. Liverpool were pushing on for those last 10 minutes or so after the penalty, but were unsuccessful in their quest to get the win and Klopp will feel like it's a missed opportunity to make a gap at the top of the table. But Scott Parker, on the other hand, will be over moon with his result. 
Fulham now sit 18th, sitting 18th, only one point off Burnley in 17th, and only two points off Brighton in 16th. The last two games of the weekend took place at the same time on Sunday night, but I'll start off by talking about the Arsenal game when they took on Burnley with a big game at the Emirates. With both teams in the bottom five, it was shaping up to be a massive game in the race for survival in the Premier League. And as I predicted on Friday, this game consisted of a Burnley side that sat back and an Arsenal side that just could not stop putting crosses into the box. As I expected, the crosses didn't phase Burnley in the slightest. If Arsenal did manage to get a shot off, it was always a very routine save for someone of Nick Pope's stature. Arsenal had a total of 18 attempts throughout the 90 minutes, but not one was clear-cut, nor nor did it make the keeper particularly work for it. In the 56th minute, as Burnley looked to counter, Granit Xhaka brought down Dwight McNeil in what followed was one of the most unnecessary red cards I think I've ever seen. A scuffle formed after the tackle was made and Chaka decided to grab Ashley Westwood by the neck. I've got no idea what Chaka was thinking, but after having a look, VAR gave the correct decision and sent him off. With Arsenal down to 10 men, it gave Burnley an opportunity to pin Arsenal back a bit and start having a few chances for themselves. And in the 72nd minute, Burnley made it count. Just before that though, Arsenal were lucky not to go down to 10 men after Mohamed Elneny did pretty much the exact same thing Chaka did. The only difference being that Elneny did it in the box off a corner. Fortunately for Arsenal, after VAR having a check, they didn't deem it enough for a red card nor a penalty. But Burnley won't care though. The following corner saw them or Aubameyang take their chance as the Arsenal captain headed past Leno into his own goal. 1-0 Burnley is how the game ended and with that result I got my second and last prediction of the week. The final game that was played this week was between Leicester and Brighton. Early on in this game it was very much Brighton who had the majority of the chances. Johan Back and Danny Welbeck with the two biggest opportunities for Brighton but neither of them could take their chance. Brighton came to rue their mistakes in the 27th minute when James Madison put Leicester ahead. It wasn't long before one became two though. This time Jamie Vardy was the goal scorer from a ball delivered in by James Justin. 2-0 with only 40 minutes gone. It didn't seem as if it could get much worse for Graham Potter's side. But that was until Madison doubled his tally for the game and put Leicester three goals up. After a beautiful left-footed shot which floated into the top corner past Matt Ryan. It was 3-0 at half-time and that was also how the game ended with no real chances taking place in the second half. Since Madison's come back from his injury, he's been brilliant for Leicester and I think the length of the injury made people forget quite how good he is. Anyways, that's all from me today. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to be having a fair few of these episodes coming up with all the football that will be taking place around the festive period. With game week 13 starting today, Friday's episode will be another game week roundup like this one. Please get in contact over Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod to let me know your own thoughts and opinions. Take it easy and I'll see you back here on Friday for another episode. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.